hello everyone in this room and online, any of our campuses, if we've never met before, my name is Adam, and uh, good morning, good morning, thank you for that, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm battling, battling a little bit of a cold today, so I'm going to need your help, you know, I know we're a Presbyterian church, but occasionally, you know, just throwing an amen here or there, you know, oh, thank you, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, and a little claps, okay, oh my goodness. Uh, well, I'm honored to be back teaching uh, with, with you, and we are in uh, the series where we're looking at one of my favorite books of the Bible, Colossians. And we've been talking about this concept that following Jesus is not just a chasing after him, but it's a being hidden with him in God. We're going to continue today by looking at a word. Uh, the word is deceit. Deceit. So I want you right now to just think of someone in your head, someone who has deceived you at some point in your life. Now, this could be a friend, a coworker. There's a good chance that this person could be in this room right now. So, whatever you do, don't look around at anybody, or they're going to assume that you're accusing them of deceit. Uh, Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 6, Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. Now, the Greek word here for deceit is apate, apate, and I really like this one. So in this room, online, wherever you are, let's say that word out loud together. All right, here we go, apate, apate, which is really confusing because deceit is like not a, a pleasant concept, but the word apate is pretty fun. I like it a lot. Uh, apate means being led astray, causing to wander or being misled. And we're all familiar with this concept. An example from my life, uh, we're in the month of Halloween, which was one of my favorite uh, holidays, our family's favorite holidays. In a few weeks, my kids will dress their best, they'll hit the streets, and they will earn buckets of candy. But... In the middle of the night, there will be a great deceit that takes place. Because the next morning, half of the candy will be missing. Now, I am a holy, honest pastor. So I'm incapable of deceiving my kids in this way. So I suspect that my wife has been deceiving our beloved children and stealing their candy. And please don't tell her that I said that. Uh, uh, so there are small deceits, right? But then there are life-altering deceits as well. In 1931, a boy was born in a small town in Indiana. He grew up in extreme poverty. He was made fun of a lot. And so he turned to a religion for comfort. And eventually he surrendered his life to full-time ministry. Uh, he was ordained in multiple denominations and he started his own congregation. And eventually that congregation moved to the San Francisco area where it grew in number and influence. And people were drawn and compelled by this man's teaching and charisma. People like you and me. Uh, these were educated folks, thoughtful people, but they were moved by this movement. And man, and eventually this preacher convinced the entire community, over 900 people, to move to another country and reestablish their church. And then, in 1978, through his persuasion and teaching, he led over 900 people to take their own lives 
by drinking Flavor-Aid laced with poison. Of course, this was the Jonestown Massacre. This man was Jim Jones. It's easy to hear a story of deception like this and think it's overly dramatic, or maybe you want to judge those who were led astray. But the reality we want to talk about today is we are all susceptible to being deceived. Big conspiracies or deceits might be easier to spot, but what about the philosophies, ideologies, and opinions preached to us every day of our lives? How about the uh, philosophies of consumerism and materialism? Have you ever been led astray by the philosophy that if you acquire the latest things and enough stuff, accumulate enough wealth, then you will have joy and purpose and meaning? Every piece of marketing preaches this message to us. How about the philosophy of success and accolades? Uh, In this room, we're surrounded by Stanford and Apple and Google and Sand Hill Road. You can feel their influence wherever you go. And there's this philosophy that declares that degrees, uh, successful careers, awards, building something great is the path to purpose. How about postmodernism and the philosophy that there is no real truth, everyone's truth is valid? How about nationalism or progressivism or conservatism? Uh, As one of my friends says, all the isms. There's no shortage of philosophies and ideologies and opinions that attempt to compel us and draw and lead us down a path. And this morning, maybe you're like me, and if you're honest, you realize how susceptible you are to being led astray by these different voices. But there's this ancient text that we'll look at that addresses this very concern, this danger of deceit. And the philosophies were different but the principle is the same. So if you want to be the kind of person who is resolute and firm, not influenced and taken captive by every philosophy, if you want to be the kind of person that lives counter to the ways of the world, if you want to be the kind of person who is able to detect deceit and live with deep inner confidence, these words in Colossians are for you today. Amen? Amen. <laughs> That was great. That was fun. All right, let's jump into it. Colossians 2, 4, the Apostle Paul says this, I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. And again, the scripture we read earlier, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ. So let's try our best to transport ourselves back into the context and understand the danger of deceit Paul's warning about. Uh, Imagine what it was like for the first century church. Things look drastically different than today. They didn't have multiple pastors with seminary degrees. There were no seminaries. There were no Bible study groups, no Bibles on your phone, no sermons to listen to on podcasts. Christianity, it was literally starting. It was not passed down from their grandparents. They didn't attend Sunday school when they were kids. Christian theology was being formed as well. Uh, Think about it like this. This is sort of crazy to think about. Menlo Church right now is older than the entire Christian church was when these letters were being written. Uh, This was brand new. Get this, maybe you've never thought about this before. This letter by Paul was written before there was a New Testament. Uh, In fact, Paul's letters were written before the Gospels. Uh, Luke was written about a year later. 
So the Colossian Christians couldn't study Jesus' parables or sermons because they hadn't even been written down yet. What we need to understand is, is this early church, it was like the Wild West. They were pioneers blazing a new trail. And these early Christians were surrounded by traditions and philosophies and religions. It had to be hard to know what was true and what wasn't. In this context, uh, Paul was writing it. We don't know the exact philosophies. It could have been a mix of Jewish traditions steeped in legalism, pagan cultish worship, or Gnostic uh, beliefs. But what about, what about us and our context? Uh, in some ways, it seems like we're almost in the opposite of their context where they didn't have much information. We have more information than we know what to do with. Uh, right now, there are over 51 million YouTube channels more every day. There are over 2 million podcasts, and get this, over 1 billion TikTok videos are watched per day. Now, many of these are just cats playing pianos, uh, <laughs> dances like the Kangsta Wop or the Swag Bouncy. I don't even know what those are, but apparently those are things. But also through these pieces of information, there are communicated ideals, opinions, philosophies, in a weird way, when you think about it, are we not in a little bit of a wild west ourselves? Uh, anyone can broadcast their views to the entire world. There are almost no gatekeepers. Algorithms don't care about your spiritual, your mental, emotional health. They just want you to stay on the device, engaged on their app as long as possible. Now, here's the point. There are endless opportunities for us to be led astray or deceived in today's world. So, what do we do? Paul's words to the Colossians are, are more relevant than ever. Do not be deceived, don't be taken captive. So for the rest of our time, we wanna talk about how to not be deceived. Here's the answer that Paul gives. Here's how we fight deception. In verse six, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So here it is. To not be deceived, you need to sink your roots deep. To not de be deceived, you need to sink your roots deep. In order to not be taken captive by the multitude of philosophies and opinions, we need to be rooted and built up in him. So we need to talk about this legendary and beautiful metaphor of being rooted in Christ. And for a lot of us that grew up in the church, these kind of metaphors can become cliches. And so we wanted to, to sort of help look at this metaphor in a different way. And so I built this little contraption this weekend uh, so we can look at the roots. Because oftentimes when we see a plant or a tree out in nature, we don't think about the roots uh, because the roots are hidden beneath the soil. Uh, we don't think about this, uh, the reality that the fruit, the leaves, the external is determined by the roots, the fruit determined by the root. Roots are found, the foundation of a tree and a plant comprising of one-third of the size of the plant. It's what happens in this hidden place underneath the soil that determines the health of the tree. And it's our spiritual roots that determine our spiritual health. To not be deceived, we need to sink our roots deep. So let's talk about the two main things that roots do. 
The first thing is this. The roots nourish the plant. They nourish the plant. Uh, by raise of hands in this room and online, at, uh, how many of you would say that you have killed every plant you've ever tried to take care of? Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, you are my people, my people. Uh, some of you can grow anything and everything. You have a green thumb. You are God's chosen ones. And you say to us, you say, it's just a succulent. Anybody can take care of it. A brain-dead animal could take care of it. Well, you overestimate us because we will water it to death in a week. We will kill it. I tried to take care of this plant. Got a picture of it. And that's how it looks now. Uh, did I water it too much? Did I not water it enough? Did I not give it enough love and affirmation or tuck it in at night? It's a fool's game. But here's the deal. When there's a problem with the external of the plant, the leaves or the fruits, uh, it can be traced back to the nourishment, right? Is the plant getting the nutrients and the water that it needs? That's the job of the roots. But how about us? When it comes to us, are we getting the nourishment that we need? Or to say it another way, where are we getting our nourishment from? What are we consuming? One way to examine this is to look at the external fruit of our life and then trace it back to the roots. So are you an impatient person? Is impatience one of the fruits of your life? Does Bay Area traffic make you yell phrases in the car that would make a holy pastor like me blush? (laughs) Do you have a hard time sitting still, focusing on long tasks? You can trace that back to your roots. Are you being nourished by endless activity on your phone? If your nourishment uh, comes from technology geared to activate your dopamine every 10 seconds, it might be hard to have the fruit of patience. Are you an angry person? Trace it back. Are you getting nourishment from angry people on the news or Twitter or cynical opinions? Are you an anxious person? Well, what are you feeding your brain? What do you do with your free moments? See, if the way of the world is to consume incessant opinions and entertainment, where does our nourishment come from as followers of Jesus? Right after uh, his instruction to be rooted, Paul reminds the Colossians, there's no need for extra philosophies or ideologies or opinions It can all be found in Christ. So I'm going to blaze through these scriptures, and and I want you to count how many times Paul says the phrase, in him, okay? Here we go. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him, also you are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. By putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, you were dead in trespasses. Or you were raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. So how many did you get? How many did you get? Six. Yep, I got six too. You get two gold stars. Way to go. Uh, he's making his point painfully obvious, uh, but I know you guys, I know, I know you know this. This is basic stuff. Of course, if we are Christians, we should be getting our nourishment from Christ alone, but 
if you'll allow me to be your pastor for one second and ask you a hard question, is Christ where you're actually getting your nourishment? If we're honest with ourselves for a second, do you spend more time scrolling social media than praying with Jesus? If you added up the hours of consuming news, podcast shows, does this vastly outweigh your spiritual practices or communion with Jesus? I'm not trying to bring guilt or shame. God's love for you is not dependent on what you do or don't do. It's just important that we're honest with ourselves because I wonder how many of us are malnourished. We wonder why we don't look, act, or feel different than everybody else in the world while we nourish ourselves in the same way. Our fruit is a representation of what we are rooted in. And when this is the case, it's easy to be deceived, to be misled. After fasting for 40 days, Jesus was tempted by Satan. The goal was to deceive Jesus, to lead him astray off the path. And here's what we see. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus fights deception by talking about spiritual nourishment. He's nourished by the words of God. Imagine being the kind of person who can stand firm against deception because you are deeply nourished in the words of God. Imagine giving up a few hours a week consuming normal content and replacing it with time with Jesus. To not be deceived, you need to sink your roots deep. Now, along with nourishment, the other main thing roots do is they uh, keep a a plant grounded or stable. They are the foundation of the plant. It's the roots that hold everything down, keeping the the tree or plant firm and grounded. Now, I started my ministry career in student ministry. Shout out to junior high and high school students if you're in here. Uh, And I probably attended 40 to 50 uh, camps or retreats in my career. That was a big part of student ministries. I've witnessed a lot at these camps and retreats. Uh, One of the things I've witnessed is is junior high and high school boys attempting to cover the smell of gas and body odor with clouds of Axe body spray. I'm sure I'll never recover from the toxic fumes I've had in those moments. But another thing I've witnessed is every single year, uh, there'd be a group of people, uh, students, that had sort of a spiritual awakening at the camp in a powerful way. As we'd come home, they would declare their intense dedication to Jesus and the church. Some of them would throw away their secular music, which shows how old I am because we used to have CDs, you know, remember those kind of things? Uh, They'd throw those away. They uh, would break up with their non-Christian girlfriend or boyfriend. Some would start Bible studies. But once school started, what would inevitably happen is they would get back with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They would develop a different group of friends and develop new habits and stop coming to church at all. Now, I'm not I'm not knocking these spiritual awakenings. They were beautiful moments, but the roots were shallow. Let's go back to verse six, and you can actually separate what Paul says into two parts. In the first part, he says this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
We all need a moment of receiving. This is our conversion moment. This is when we take on the identity of a Christian or a follower of Jesus. These are amazing, life-altering moments, and we mark them and celebrate them with baptism. But Paul doesn't stop there. The second part says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We don't just convert to a religion or make a decision. That's only the beginning. We are meant to continue to live in him, become built up and established. Our roots are made to go deeper and deeper and deeper. But what happens too often, especially in America, is being a Christian can simply be a title or a cultural identity. We become a Christian, we attend church occasionally, and then we go about our lives. Our roots never grow deeper. They're so shallow, we aren't grounded or established, it's no wonder how easy it is to be misled or deceived. Our roots are shallow, not established. But now, I want to contrast those camp stories uh, with my grandma, uh, who we call Gigi. Now, Gigi is one of my favorite people in the world. If you follow me on Facebook, you've probably seen her comment or brag on my ministry endeavors. Uh, you may not think I'm cool, but Gigi does. And that's all that matters. She's my biggest encourager. I love it so much. And our family's been through a lot uh, recently. Gigi lost her husband, uh, her son, and her son-in-law. She's had many health troubles herself. Uh, there have been bitter divorces in our family, painful deceptions. But during all of this, she has remained grounded and established in Christ. She is the oak tree uh, the pillar of our family. Her faith has remained firm. And her mom, Mama, uh, passed down a morning spiritual practice, a daily time at the kitchen table communing with Jesus and reading the scriptures. And every day, Gigi has continued this practice and her roots have sunk deeper and deeper with each of these times. Because that's, that's the thing about root growth, Right? It takes time. It's not just instant. It's a slow growth. It's the same with our spiritual growth. Our roots dig deeper through consistent practices, things we do over and over and over again. And this is why we're highlighting specific spiritual practices in our series. Uh, Bible study right now, uh, in our next series, we're going to be looking at the practice of slowing down. Then the next series, listening, prayer, and then fasting. Uh, it's through these habitual spiritual practices we become built up and established and grounded. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I don't even know where to start with spiritual practices. Uh, which ones to do, what pace, how to schedule them. Uh, well, guess what? Uh, every single one of our campus, uh, campuses, we have these things called pastors, uh, campus pastors, group life pastors, student pastors. Now, I know all of them, and they would be giddy, over the moon excited if you asked them, hey, can you help me with spiritual practices? Uh, that is their actual job. That's why we pay them the big bucks, to help you grow spiritually. So use them as a resource. Because to not be deceived, you need to sink your roots deep. If your roots are shallow, the more susceptible you are to philosophies and ideologies that pull you off the path. 
Now, uh, after the defeats in World War I, Germany faced a, a great economic depression. Uh, German people were left despondent and hoping for renewal. For many, it seemed like their prayers had been answered when a leader came along with charisma and passion and a strategy to return Germany back to prominence. Uh, some German Christians believe this leader was an answer to prayer. One pastor said, the time is fulfilled for the German people in Hitler. It's because of Hitler that Christ, God the helper and redeemer, has become effective among us. Hitler is a way of the spirit and the will of God for the German people to enter the church of Christ. Another pa pastor said simply, Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler used brilliant leadership tactics to lead people down a path. But not everyone was deceived. There was a pastor and theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And along with a few other pastors, they started a group called the Confessing Church. And they announced publicly their allegiance to Jesus Christ, more than a nation or a leader. And they publicly called out all the hateful rhetoric and actions of this leader. Now, try to imagine for a second how hard this must have been. Most of your nation and family and friends being compelled by philosophy and movement and you going completely against them all. This took courage and bravery, but it also took someone rooted enough in Christ that they weren't deceived. Bonhoeffer was a key figure in many resistance efforts. Uh, his main role was rescuing Jewish people. But because of this resistance, in 1943, two men drove up in a black Mercedes and brought him to prison. And he spent the next two years in jail, continuing to write and mentor young pastors. But eventually, in 1945, with six other resistors, he was put to death by hanging. A camp doctor who witnessed the event said this. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer, before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a prayer and climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued in a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, I've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. This is the witness and account of someone rooted and established in Christ and Christ alone. When everyone else around him was led astray and deceived, he remained rooted and resolute and firm, not taken captive by another philosophy. It's easy for us to hear that story and think, well, I would have been like Bonhoeffer. I would have been standing firm against hatred and oppression. But is this true? Because there are philosophies, ideologies, and opinions everywhere we go. They're compelling, they're tempting. Will we be the ones who are so nourished and grounded, so rooted in Christ that we are resolute and firm? Or will we be the ones who consume the philosophies of the world with shallow roots? My hope and prayer for you is that you will root yourself in him. 
find nourishment in his word, in solitude, in prayer, that you would be grounded through consistent daily spiritual practices. That you would be like the psalmist describes in Psalm 1, like a tree planted by streams of water. My hope is that you would not be deceived because you sink your roots deep. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this this time to look at these words from Paul and to see how relevant they are for each of us. Everywhere we go, uh, Jesus, we are uh, tempted, we are led, we are preached to. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and watching online that we would be the kind of people that are so nourished by you, that are so planted deeply in you that we know the truth. Jesus, I pray as we go about this week that you would show us places in our lives where we can uh, stop consuming uh, all of these other philosophies and opinions and we can draw near to you. Show us ways that we can be nourished in you. So we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.